one week after proclaiming that SOL was done, the Detroit Lions find a new way to lose. Thanks, everybody, for downloading this week's edition of the All Lions podcast. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. This podcast made possible thanks to SI.com and Fan Nation. Looking forward to breaking down the unfortunate loss to the Minnesota Vikings. Also, looking forward to checking in with a great writer from the Detroit Free Press, Tony Garcia, to kind of check in and give his perspective of the Detroit Lions 1 and 2 start. But you have to start with the way in which the Detroit Lions lost that football game. Last week, I proclaimed that SOL was done on this All Lions podcast. Now, this wasn't an SOL-type loss in the fact that you look at this contest, the Detroit Lions had played from ahead, had an opportunity twice in that contest to go ahead and uh, earn and secure a double-digit lead. That was a sign of a great game plan offensively, going in and handling business, moving the football, taking advantage of the areas and mismatches in which the Lions had the advantage, and that was using Amonra St. Brown, the passing attack, using Jamal Williams, obviously, taking advantage of the offensive line and great routes and great play designs by Ben Johnson, the new offensive coordinator. Now, on the other side of the coin, the struggles on defense were massive. One of the keys to the game was to get pressure on Kirk Cousins, and you just simply were not able to accomplish that. Aiden Hutchinson had a quiet game. The Lions defensive line obviously missed John Kaminsky. So you look at the totality of the game. The Lions played a decent game. They put themselves in position to win. Now, a young football team, this is why young football teams can't consistently win. So those of you that are talking playoffs, come on, guys. This is a young football team that's still learning how to close out games. So I don't see them just going on a massive streak and putting together three, four, five wins in a row. That was why my one or two questions to Brad Holmes involved. Because of the nature of this roster being so young, do you have enough veteran leadership to make the plays late? Hence, that was the question. The end part was the key part of that question. Yeah, it's a young football team, which is great. Good that they buy in. Good that they're impressionable and they will be molded in the way in which this Lions team wants to play and perform. But the key thing is late in games, when you have this young roster, can they avoid miscommunications? Can they avoid making key mistakes? And the answer was no. Another blown coverage resulting in a wide open wide receiver that Kirk Cousins easily found for the go-ahead touchdown. So again, this is why this football team is still learning how to win, but it's encouraging. Now, I was, my reaction was sitting there watching the game and obviously putting together content for all Lions, looking at kind of assigning what I wanted to do in regards to which topics were going to go when. I found myself really having a hard time not getting really highly upset and dejected because this game for the Lions was a W. I was dejected. I had a hard time. Now, I, I give credit to the journalists who are able to just sit there and type and be boring and, and, and not have any emotional reactions to what you're seeing, but I'm totally different. I was encouraged by what I saw. I said, this is a win. This is a, a, an opportunity for this Detroit Lions football team to go 2-1, and one, to have an opportunity to play the Seattle Seahawks, and the New England Patriots to secure more wins. So as it's going down, you're seeing the defense and you're like, oh boy, you blew that first double-digit lead and you saw 
the fact that missed opportunities occurred offensively and you found yourself going, oh boy, the, the seeds of doubt started to to creep in. This is tough. But then the Lions at 14-14 at the half, they came out and earned another double-digit lead. 10 points in the fourth quarter. But you were not able at those critical moments to put together the winning plays late. And that's the sign of a good football team. All The good thing about the Lions is they're going to compete. And I think that the coaching staff and Dan Campbell and everybody involved has done a tremendous job of being able to field a team that can compete week in, week out, even against the league's best opponents. On the road, you have to make the the one or two plays late. The closing plays, that's what good football teams do. That's what talented football teams do is that when you're tired, when you're aching, when the opponent has garnered some momentum, you make the play, you make the call. So I know a lot of people, and we're going to talk about it with Tony Garcia, the decision that Dan Campbell made and how his in-game management has impacted this team. We'll talk about all that. We'll hit on all that. But for the Detroit Lions to take the next step forward, they got to find a way to close out these football games. They got to stop making these mistakes. They got to put together more of their roster playing well at the same time. For example, if Jeff Okuda shines and the game plan to stop Justin Jefferson's working, now Amani Arwari's got to step up and he's got to also fill his role. It's not a team that's good enough where one or two key cogs, and Amani Arwari is a significant piece of that defense. If he's not performing at a high level, this football team's not winning. Unfortunately, the injury bug also crept in with Amani, uh, with, uh, excuse me, with Tracy Walker and DeAndre Swift and Amonra St. Brown. So that obviously limited and impacted the game as well. And so you look at this Detroit Lions football team, they sit at one and two, but there's a lot of significant concerns that have arisen. The offense is doing their thing. But late, there are still significant issues that they got to address on third down, their effectiveness converting, their key execution late. And now how are they going to handle having a key member of their offense, DeAndre Swift, probably going to be limited or not available at all in the next couple weeks because obviously he's hurt his shoulder. Amonra St. Brown is dealing with an ankle situation. So the team is banged up. And you walk away from week two with a loss. So I was dejected. I had a hard time focusing because I was just like, this was when you have a victory and you see it snatched away, you cannot help but say, wow, you're this close to turning the tide for people looking at this team a lot differently to go on a run, to start potentially the season four and one because the stars potentially are aligned with the Seahawks having a quarterback in Geno Smith and a team that's kind of in flux in transition, as they would say. And then the the Patriots having their quarterback go down, things were set up. So it it just felt like a significant wasted opportunity that you should have taken advantage of. And that's why you look at opportunities that this football team had. You also got to look at, you know, some of the makeup of some of the players that are injured now were members of the Bob Quinn era, players that were drafted. Uh, Amani Arawarie struggled. DeAndre Swift dealing with injuries off and on. Tracy Walker, now done for the year. Jonah Jackson, dealing with injuries. Uh, Taylor Decker, last year, dealt with a lot of injuries. Now look, now uh, uh, you can't just say, oh, Bob Quinn, look at his players. There are, you know, 13 players and a couple more on the practice squad and that were not uh, drafted, that were undrafted, including the likes of uh, Anthony Pittman. There are a lot of players that are still holdover from the old regime. And you look at it, one of the players that I'll ask Tony about is TJ Hawkinson, what level of contribution you're getting from him. But this Detroit Lions football team, my quick first thought 
in this first segment is a wasted opportunity. And that made it really tough for the Detroit Lions to kind of overcome. And they start the year one and two. But I'm very curious. I want to check in with Tony Garcia from the Detroit Free Press, a young, talented writer who is going to kind of come in and also add his perspective on what he saw from the Detroit Lions. Always enjoy a conversation with one of the young up-and-coming writers in town. Had an opportunity now to read Tony Garcia's work in the Detroit Free Press, one of the great newspapers in town. So had an opportunity when I said, hey, I met this young guy out there on a golf course. I wanted to have an opportunity to talk to him about football and a bunch of other things as well. But today we're going to talk to Tony Garcia of the Detroit Free Press about the Detroit Lions. Tony, thank you so much for joining this episode of the All Lions podcast. Yeah, no, happy to be on, John. And man... It's amazing how fast the time has gone since that day at uh, Detroit Golf Club, right? Yeah. I mean, that feels like yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Now, week four in the NFL season, Detroit Lions sit at one and two, a tough loss. I just talked about in the opening segment just how dejected I was. I'm not one of those people that just can sit and watch a football game and not get a little bit emotionally invested. I had thought that was a win after two double-digit leads. But then, again, the the great thing about the Detroit Lions is there's always opportunities for them to find ways to lose. But this one was a little bit more in terms of decision-making, and I think the reason why a lot of people found themselves to be dejected or upset was this was a football game the Lions had won. Double-digit leads, made some key mistakes late, and potentially Dan Campbell costing this football team an opportunity to get their second win of the season with the call that he made. I'm curious, what was your reaction to the Detroit Lions four point road loss to their divisional rival in the Minnesota Vikings? I think you, I mean, I think you said it well. Uh, the reason this was uh, upsetting for fans is not just because it's another loss, but it's a loss that you had won, uh, sort of a classic um, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, Lions sort of week. But I just, I keep finding myself, and I'm trying not to give this team or this regime or this staff or even the players too many outs, but because eventually you want the Lions to just win a game that they're not supposed to win, right? I mean, I six and a half point road dogs, divisional underdogs, um, Minnesota coming off of the, the bludgeoning Monday night, you knew they were going to be fired up. So it had a lot of the makings for a loss uh, go, going into it. And so I just think because of the way the game played out, of course, it's upsetting for people that that the win didn't come. But in recent years, this is a game they lose by by multiple touchdowns and moral victories. I hate when people even talk about it because those don't even exist in NFL circles. Nobody ever has said, yes, this is a moral victory. Um, but but there but there are still so many positive things to take away from the game. Yes, there were gas. Yes, the offense came up short fourth quarter. Yes, the defense couldn't get the final stop. Yes, Dan Campbell made the wrong decision. All those things are true. But for the Lions, like if if you really dissect the one and two record, um, a bad start against Philly, too late to come back. I mean, that's a pretty darn good team. They're playing as well as anybody in the NFL right now. You get the win at home week two, exactly as you're supposed to do, and it's a it's a one possession game. You're leading for 59 minutes and 15 seconds uh, against a divisional rival who I think the Vikings are the best team in the NFC North. And I mean, the Lions might be second. I am not sold on the Packers at all at all at all um and so it's it's upsetting certainly but there's just it's week three there's still a little bit of time you got to right the ship week four against seattle and then uh 
and then I think I think people won't be uh, standing on the on the ledge of the cliff anymore, uh, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I think that's good. It's a great way and a great approach to look at it. Is hey, it's now midweek. We're approaching the game against Seattle. Let's look at some of the positives as well. But I do want to get your sense and where you put the most. Uh, where you assess to be the, the difficulties the most with this Detroit Lions team? Because a lot of people right now are focused on Dan Campbell and his decision-making. Let's start with that. His aggressiveness. I think many people are really influenced and really impressed by Dan Campbell's willingness to go for it, especially with the execution, being able to go four of six on fourth down. But when you look at it, what did you make of Dan Campbell when the time came to be aggressive, to go for it on fourth down, when you see that your kicker has never kicked a field goal of over 53 yards and you you recognize he's missed a game he's missed a kick earlier in the contest what did you what did you make and how have you processed Dan Campbell's decision uh because many people are looking at it that he picked the third worst option of the three that he could have made well said and and he did um it's uh it is a terrible gaffe uh it was a it was a mistake in the moment uh that I was saying um it was on the road so I was uh I was just tracking the game at home. Of course, we had Dave Burkett uh, and some and some other columnists there who do a great job covering that for us. Uh, but I was just watching for my for my own sake, so I would know what to talk about uh, with with all the coaches this week. And man, it's just I think it was the wrong decision for any team. It's just such a long field goal going three to six. I mean, yeah, it's they have to get a touchdown. But you're giving up all the field position you worked for. I mean, either you go for it and you and you twist the knife and you go for the jugular, or you punt and you make them go seventy plus yards. Uh, the the field goal was the third of the three options, as you said. And what makes it all the worse, which you also alluded to, is it's the exact opposite of what he was doing all game. The Lions were in this game and scoring points because he was aggressive, 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 aggressive. They were, like you said, four of six on fourth downs um, with most of the conversions coming on fourth and four or shorter. Um, I think I wonder if the fourth and one run uh, on the series prior when Jamal Williams got stuffed was in his head. Uh, then there's the third and one play when they felt like they couldn't run it. And, uh, and they take the deep shot to, to Josh Reynolds down the right sideline. So a couple times they didn't get it. And I mean, you have to keep in mind in the context of the game, DeAndre Swift was hurt. Amon Ross St. Brown clearly banged up. So those are two of their, those are the one and two options in a fourth and four situation, right? I mean, those are the two guys you're really, you're really going to, but, but that does not mean choose the field goal. The field goal was still the wrong decision. And I totally get why people are frankly really pissed off um, because it's easy to say three minutes later, man, or 10 minutes later, however long it takes him to get to the podium. I should not have done that. That was the wrong call, but it's like, how do you not know that in the moment? And and I really try to, so say you're, say a team is down, I don't know, X amount of point, X amount of points, 11 points with eight minutes left in the game. And they're driving like in the Michigan game, uh, Maryland versus Michigan last week, not to get off on too, too much of a side tangent. Uh, I was talking to people in the press box before Maryland scores this touchdown. It was 24 to 13. I was like, do you go for two here? Or do you go for one? Cause I don't like to be, everyone can say in hindsight, whether something worked or didn't, if it was a good or bad decision, you need to be, strong in your convictions in what you're doing ahead of time. And so the result does not always mean something was the right or wrong decision. Even had he made this field goal, it would have been the wrong decision. 
And so, uh, I'm, I mean, the result makes it even worse, but it's, it's, it's the process of how you get there because that's what carries over week to week. And so it was, so the wrong decision clearly, um, and and I think I think it did cost the team. Frankly, it's hard it's hard to find a way in, way in which it didn't. The defense could have come up with a stop, but uh, I mean we we've all seen this. Uh, we've done the same song and dance a, a time or two in our years following this team. Yeah, exactly. And I love those that bring up silver linings. They look at you know kind of a way in which to kind of spin this. But the thing that's bothersome and worrisome is even though yes, Dan Campbell is in his second year, he had. 12 games with the Dolphins. He's been around the National Football League, so that's why it's a little bit concerning that he made all the mistakes his first year, and now in his second year, the progression is just not as fast as I think it should be, being the experience that he's had, being that he's been around great coaches, and that he's led a team before. Some of these mistakes should have been ironed out at this point, and I think that's the determining factor for a lot of these coaches is making the great decision when it counts the most. Look, he can game plan. He knows his X's and O's. He gets his players to play for him. But now that final point, which is, I think, weighted just a little more in a league where the talent is so close, it's about decision-making and when you make it. So that's why a lot of people now are starting to put the uh, put Dan Campbell in the crosshairs. He has to get better at making these decisions. And now we're going to hopefully, over the next 14 games, potentially see decisions made that will, at, at the end of the day, result in wins for the Detroit Lions. So while a, a 1A blame is is being looked at at Dan Campbell, another area that is a concern that also impacts decisions is this defense. Time and time again, when Dan Campbell is asked questions by the likes of yourself and other great media members, he talks about trust in his defense. And I have to try, uh, and I always be honest, I always have to try not to chuckle because I always, in my, the first thought in my mind is why on earth would you trust this defense in any capacity? I would always assume, hey, why would you kick a field goal to go up six? I would already naturally assume your defense is going to give up the touchdown because of the fact that time and time again, it's a young defense. You're still, you know, it's a complex defense that has a lot of moving parts. Late in the game, you still had an opportunity. You had the lead. Aaron Glenn's defense needed to force pressure late. That didn't happen. Amani Arawarie had to make a play late. Didn't happen. And then what we've seen time and time again is when the mistake is made, it's not just a little mistake. It's a blown coverage where the receiver is running free into the end zone. Mistakes that you can't happen on a catastrophic level keep happening to this defense. So I'm curious, what's your sense of Aaron Glenn so far? I know he's being talked about as a positive individual, very aggressive, but at the same time, when the mistakes happen, they tend to be on a very large scale. They do. And um, it is certain, it is about time. I mean, because, because Aaron Glenn is, uh, he's so personable, he's so relatable. I mean, he's a combination of a player's coach, but still sort of a hard ass who like won't just, won't just roll over and won't just let the team run the team. Like, I think he strikes a good balance there, but 20, what, what are we 20 games into to the regime? And I mean, the, there are real, real question marks more than more than question marks about this defense. I mean, it's almost not a question. It's that, you know, they're bad. And so you wonder, I mean, a guy like Tracy Walker going down in the second half or early in the game certainly hurts the secondary. Um, but that happens. This is the NFL. There, I mean, the the Vikings were without Harrison Smith. It's all over the league. There's going to be key injuries, and that can't be any any sort of excuse or crutch to lean on. It's really con- concerning, I guess, is one word for it. 
what Aiden Hutchinson's first three weeks, I guess I shouldn't say concerning because I'm not concerned about him long term. But just the Jekyll and Hyde nature, I mean, I didn't I almost didn't even see him on the field week three. Not that he wasn't out there, but he just wasn't making an impact. And so when the rush isn't getting home, this secondary does not have the pieces in, in order to slow down a, a prolific passing attack. And, and that is with Jeff Okuda, who we should mention, doing a marvelous job on Justin Jefferson. So much better than I ever could have imagined he would do. So that is certain. And I'm not Mr. Sunshine uh, when it comes to the Lions or any of the local teams. Uh, it may seem like I'm being that way now. I'm just trying to look at it make sure i guess when people go left i like to go right a little bit like when, when the sky is truly falling where is it not and when people are super high on a team i'm like ah, oh, there are there are holes here and so as far as the defense goes uh i don't think it's as bad as last year that's not saying much um but but aaron glenn you really gotta you gotta wonder i mean what is so what is like the calling card of the defense right like each side of the ball should have something they can hang their hat on like we can get pressure when we need or we can lock down on a third and eight and we trust our our like back seven if we're only sending four that they're going to be able to to stay with their man or pass people off through the zone Uh, i i don't know what it is that this defense does well and that is the the concern Yes, and I think that that's what they're trying to install is that Aaron Glenn tells us he wants to be aggressive, but at the same time, the Minnesota Vikings obviously saw a lot of film and they found ways in order to block that opened up holes for Delvin Cook. And that's the joy of the chess match between different coaching staffs is that despite what the Lions want to do, the opponent is also scheming in ways that also takes advantage of their advantages versus the weaknesses of the Lions. So that's the the great chess match of the NFL. And that's why a lot of these games come down to just those key plays late. And that's why I think that as this team continues to grow, as this team continues to get better with more experience, I think they are going to turn it around. But at this point in time, you know, it, it's it's the NFL, not for long. When you keep making similar mistakes over and over and over again, now the defense has to step up late in the game because I see another potential close game against the Seahawks. Geno Smith, even though, you know, he's not, you know, considered among the elite quarterbacks, can still move that offense. There's a a heavy emphasis on the run game. Now they have a couple weeks um, of film to learn from as they come in now to Ford Field with DK Metcalf, uh, Penny there in in the run game, and a head coach that has a lot of experience. How do you see the Lions rebounding this week, week four, a game in which if they can get to two and two, now you have an advantage to go on the road against New England with their quarterback being injured with an opportunity to go into the bye week with a winning streak. So I think it's an opportunity this week for the Detroit Lions to rebound and secure the win at home in front of a fan base that has just been awesome the first couple games at home. Yeah, no, obviously, huge week, huge, huge week. Uh, you really don't want to be going on the road one and three. Then you're really behind the eight ball, especially when it feels like two and two through these four games, the way it's all played out, feels like probably the worst you should be. It feels like you really had a chance to be three and one, obviously. Um, I just want to prepare Lions for for an ugly sort of game. Uh, Seattle is so good at red zone defense. Uh, I think they're fourth in the NFL. The Lions are 32nd in the NFL at red zone defense. When opponents get into the red zone, they score a touchdown on the Lions. I think it was like 10 of 11 times, like 90.9%. I mean, it's pretty alarming. And and uh, and Seattle is, is very much the opposite. So it might feel like the Lions are moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, and then settling for three. And Seattle's not the, sort of getting up and down quite as much. And you look up in the fourth quarter and it's 
16 to 14. It's a two, it's a two point game and, and it sort of can go either way. Uh, I, I think the Lions. I mean, the Lions are the better team, uh, which is a weird thing to say definitively against anyone, but, but they are, but th- that's not that Seattle doesn't have advantages. And one of them, I mean, you mentioned it, is Pete Carroll, the coach, the coaching staff. I mean, he is, you see so many questionable, I mean, like Nathaniel Hackett, who just, I, I can spend 20 minutes talking about how he's not qualified to be an NFL coach and has proven that in three weeks, but just the way people like him or even, uh, I mean, Jim Caldwell going back a few years, how he couldn't manage timeouts. Now Dan Campbell seems questionable. Pete Carroll, if he's making a decision, you just feel good with it. You just trust it. Um, and that's because he's had so much success at so many, at so many levels. He just doesn't seem that no moment really gets too big for him, especially in week four of an NFL season. And so that's something the Lions will have to overcome as well. I am curious uh, how they sort of attack this defensively if they try to do the same thing and just have Okuda, Shadow, um, DK Metcalf, and then put a warrior with maybe a safety over the top on uh, Tyler Lockett to try to take take away those deep balls. I mean, that's certainly something I think we're all going to ask Dan Campbell about uh, later this afternoon when we speak with him. Um, but it's a, it's a winnable game, and this is this is a, a, a polarizing game. This is a, a fan base will turn sort of game. Like, I know people wanted to do that on week three, but that's a game at Minnesota that a lot of good teams lose. It doesn't make it better. It makes it understandable. If you lose this game at home to Seattle, that's going to be rough. There's going to be real trouble in paradise. And so I'm just I'm just looking to see how, how the Lions respond. And really, what is Amon Ross St. Brown's health? Uh, it sounds like DeAndre Swift is going to be out uh, until maybe the bye week. What, what does this offense look like? I mean, how much do those guys open things up? The answer, a lot. So uh, health, health is also uh, something to, to pay attention to when the practice reports come out today and tomorrow as well. Absolutely. That's the key. You lost your key safety in Tracy Walker. Amonra, even though he he's going to be a warrior, he might get out there. He's still potentially dealing with an ankle injury. Even just a little bit of a reduction in his speed and cutting ability, that impacts your offense. How uh, Jamal Williams steps in and potentially fills in. And then you got to look at Frank Ragnow. Even though he gets out there, he's banged up as well. So this is a banged up football team. So that's why on paper, we obviously think that, hey, they should go out there and still perform. But it's really tough to overcome when you're a young football team. So I still would preach patience if they lost and not to jump off because the team is still filled, uh, still rebuilding and things like that. But yeah, it's tough. But I still think that the team is playing hard. It's a great atmosphere to play at Ford Field. The crowd will impact how the Seattle Seahawks offense is running and things like that. So I think you said it. It's going to be a, a messy kind of game that if you hope that this Lions football team can learn from their mistakes their first couple weeks, then you can have an opportunity to make those key plays late and that's what everybody's looking for is to rebound get back to two and two and to stay on track for six to eight wins I think that neighborhood if you're in six seven wins hopefully seven or eight that'll keep people away from Dan Campbell because they're right there they're sta- they're not patient there's you know the history of the Lions dictates that people will start to question him in every decision from here on out so once Tom Izzo told Tony Garcia that he had a good basketball mind. Well, I found <laughs> I found through my conversation that he's got a great sports mind. And that's why when you find great writers and great individuals, you want to bring them on. So I enjoyed the conversation, Tony. Hopefully this is one of many football conversations that we can have. Dissecting the Lions, the world of Detroit sports. You know you got a home at the Detroit Sports Podcast and SI All Lions 
talking football. I enjoyed the conversation. You gave me a different perspective to look on as I uh, finish up this podcast. I look forward to reading more of your work and all of your endeavors as you move through the sports community, man. Welcome to Detroit. It's a great opportunity to read great writers and you're among them and uh, uh, always enjoy the conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate that. Uh, I got time for you anytime. So just let me know. You see how great journalists can just find avenues to calm down a guy like myself who's just like, oh, literally, guys, I was trying to type and do takeaways and I was just sitting there going, mother effing lions again, another way. Why can't they win? I saw them being, you know, three, four and one. I saw the vision. I saw all the praise that Dan Campbell deserves. And yet it just came back. The key plays late they didn't make. And I'm just ready. I mean, you know, just trying to just stay with the theme of looking at this team from 2021 to this year. When are they going to close out games consistently? When are we going to stop hearing about miscommunications and and mental errors and, and missed assignments that, you know, when do they get cleaned up? I mean, you're, you've are you been with this group. This group heavily was brought back. So Tony brings up a good point that this is a referendum game. That's how you look at it. You got to win it. Look, nobody cares if you're injured. Nobody cares. The Seahawks... You know, at times have battled injuries. Other teams are dealing. Look at uh, the Chargers. They're dealing with injuries. Miami, 3-0. and They got a new head coach. Look, bottom line, even though many will tell you it's, it's not about wins and losses, it's about wins and losses. Dan Campbell cannot cheer his way on to stay as the head coach. If this year or next it doesn't get cleaned up, he will be gone. And that's just the way it is. So I'm hoping that the, the turnaround can start in front of the home crowd, get the Ws, winning in front of Detroit fans, will start to, you know, alleviate some of the tension that has started to permeate is that the question's there. When is this team going to start to turn the corner and make the key plays late as opposed to not? All right, final segment here on the All Lions podcast. I wanted to bring up the players that remain on the Detroit Lions roster that are from the Bob Quinn era. Okay, and a couple of them now have been the focal point of some conversations that people are having. DeAndre Swift, Mani Arawarie, and others, including Taylor Decker and tight end TJ Hawkinson. You look at some of the top-end talent that Bob Quinn brought, and right now you're looking at it and you say, you just feel like you could get more. With DeAndre Swift, it's great, but he's been on a snap count for the first couple weeks of the season because of nagging injuries. And Logan Lamarandier, another great writer at All Lions, he brought up that, hey, when Bob Quinn drafted him, there was a concern regarding his injuries. And despite the fact that he bulked up, shoulder situation, Tony brought up that, that he could be missing now the next two games because of a shoulder and an ankle situation. You look at TJ Hawkinson and what he's delivering. He's doing well. He's producing. But you feel like, why are there lulls offensively repeatedly? Why is the team going three for 16 on third down when you have a tight end that should be finding his way into the middle of the field and getting catches, getting receptions, extending drives. That's what a safety valve is. That should be his role. No football team with a TJ Hawkinson on it should be, you know, struggling that mightily on offense and at certain times. Yeah, it's great early in the game. You, you, you run off script, but when the opponent makes an adjustment, what do you do? And Hawkinson can't just be a glorified blocker because he's still working to get better at that. So, and especially when you operate under the perception that he's looking for a contract north of $14 million a season, it's not worth it at this point in time. I just think that at this point in time, the question that I'm asking is, do the former Bob Quinn players deserve extensions? They gave one to Tracy Walker. Now, unfortunately, he's hurt. 
And you could argue that, yeah, there are times where he didn't make enough big plays. He's there. He's a stable force. But what about the interceptions? Look at Quandre Diggs. He was just around the ball and popped the ball out, and he's, Walker was starting to emerge. But, you know, in terms of the contract extension that he got, you can start to look at and question the value of his contract. So I'm starting to lean towards the fact that the rest of the Bob Quinn players, look, Taylor Decker's going to be here. That's fine. You look at other players, and I'll pull up the list here, but you look at starting with Swift and TJ Hawkinson, do they earn another big contract? No. You know, and, and you look at other players that are having quiet seasons to start as well, and you realize, okay, Jared Davis is on the practice squad. I have no idea why they brought him back. Maybe a locker room guy. Uh, great decision that Brad Holmes made was moving on from Kenny Galladay. Um, it's really just shocking his descent. But you look at it, there's not a lot of players, about 13, 14, Frank Ragnow, he got paid. And now look, he's dealing with nagging injuries. But when he's on the field, he's a great player. But again, you're starting to see, is he somebody that can stay healthy and stay out there on the field? Because it's it's all great to be a great player when you're there. But if you're never on the field and you're dealing with an injury last year and now a couple nagging injuries this year after getting a contract, you, you just hope that he can turn it around because you don't want to go the way of Deshaun Hand where everybody views you as a great player but just never can stay on the field. You know, uh, other players, like I said, TJ Hawkinson is going to be looking for a contract. The one player that's just an enigma that's really tough, and maybe he'll get a new opportunity by playing safety, by having an opportunity, or whether he gets an increased role, is Will Harris. Despite the talk of his uh, great play and improvement, he still at times gets targeted and, you know, it struggles at times in coverage and to be consistent enough in this secondary. Will Harris, I think, is a player that you got to look to potentially. Austin Bryant, I mean, he gets deactivated. He, he's a healthy scratch at times in favor of Julian Aquara, who was also drafted by Bob Quinn. You look at it and you say, man, the one player that may end up outshining everybody. And you look at a couple linemen, Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg. Stenberg got uh, replaced pretty quickly by uh, Evan Brown, but that didn't exactly work out. When you look on film, he he struggled with playing guard and and, and having the same success that he had at center. Logan Stenberg, uh, still developing, just not sure what exactly his role is. Jonah Jackson, obviously, you know, is a player that has the potential, but still young in his career, 2023rd rounder. You look at his evolution, what's he going to produce over the course of his career? And then another player, that you look at that maybe if Amon Ross St. Brown goes down, could potentially be in the mix for an increased role as Quintez Cephas. I think that um, uh, it's going to be an opportunity for players to step up. And for the players that were brought in from Bob Quinn, I know it stinks, but how much loyalty do this regime have with those kind of players? They put them out there. Uh, you know, we asked this week, I asked Dan Campbell about Amani Arawari's, you know, kind of game that he did that was really a big struggle against uh, Adam Thielen. And he said, look, Amani's a pro. He'll bounce back. But man, it, it makes it tough because the reason why uh, Jeff Okuda had success, uh, not only because he's talented and, and really did his homework and, and shut him down, but he also had some level of safety help in terms of trying to limit and uh, at least putting out there that they're going to double um, Justin Jefferson. So it made it so that other receivers and Dalvin Cook could have a little bit more success. So then it, it, you're called upon Amani Arawari to step up, not to, you know, t- you know, incur three, four, five, six penalties. And and Dan Campbell came out and said that that was just a rough game. We trust him. 
that he's going to come back and perform at a high level. So right now, my focus is on a lot of the players from the Bob Quinn era, but I'm just not as confident. I want more. The player that could have the most success is Jeff Okuda, who now uh, the number three overall pick. You know, can he live up to it? Unfortunately, similar to TJ Hawkinson, you're still going to be judged by where you were drafted. I know people say, oh, it's not fair. But to be a great player at number three, the Lions could have had so many more talented, more impactful players. That's why most teams don't draft a defensive back at number three. But for Jeff Okuda, his individual case, coming back from an Achilles, he's not lost any athleticism. He's using his physicality. It sounds like the team has definitely played to his strengths and allowed him to shut down some really talented wideouts, proving a lot of us wrong so far that he can play in this league. I didn't think that. I thought even after an Achilles injury, how the heck do you come back? But, you know, the, the, the marvels of modern medicine dictate that, you know, hey, this, this rehab from Achilles is going to be, um, is going to be something fantastic and, uh, be something maybe that can be a positive in, in, in situations for the Detroit Lions because the Lions defense can, needs all the help that they can get. But pay attention because big decisions now are going to start to be made. What do you do with Amani Arawarie? What do you do with TJ Hawkinson? In a couple of years, what do you do with DeAndre Swift? So it's going to be a, um, a fascinating look at just where some of the players that Bob Quinn uh, drafted, what, what the Lions think and view of them. Taylor Decker, I think, potentially could retire a Lion. He has the mentality. He has everything that you want in an offensive lineman. Uh, and to anchor the left side, Jared Goff's blind side, I think for the next couple of years, if golf remains, I think you can be safe and secure that Taylor Decker is somebody that is going to earn and play at a high level. So, but the others, a lot of question marks, a lot of debates will be had, and I'm starting to have it now that I'm okay if you just moved on from Swift, Hawkinson, um, you know, Cephas, a lot of these players, do they get the second contract? Mm, starting at this point in time, John Macaron thinks that you probably would be okay if you moved on and drafted younger talent. Thanks everybody for downloading this edition of the All Lions podcast, made possible thanks to SI.com and Fan Nation. Tony Garcia, great young writer up and coming, doing a lot of great things for the free press, for giving us his insights regarding the game that just happened, the tough game that really, really set some emotions. And right now it's at the table for the critics to come out. They're sitting at the table now. They're not banging the forks yet. They're not... uh, They're not just yet clanging for or clamoring for a change, but they're sitting at the table and now they've got their arms folded and they're looking at you, Dan Campbell. What are you going to do to respond? And they're looking at your football team, offensively, defensively, special teams. Got to put it together this week against the Seattle Seahawks. Thanks, everybody. I look forward to next week when we come back with the latest edition, hopefully with a 500 football team. Thanks, everybody, for downloading the latest All Lions podcast.